Good morning. It is 10.07. Jennifer Bukowski, criminal defense attorney. Really, really good one. We'll see if she can come up with a defense based on what she's read about the Idaho murder and the documents that they've released so far. That'll be in about a half an hour. She, of course, is also a watcher of the Royals. And if you watched 60 Minutes on Sunday, well, you heard the whiner uh, complaining about royal life. Yeah, he's, he's had it so rough. I, I don't know, Brian. I, having unlimited wealth. Yeah, that's got to be a really tough life. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and it, did, it, did you see that tiny little abode that he is uh, that he's li- living in oh it's just i mean that's yeah cruel and horrible yeah the multi-million dollar uh little tiny abode that uh, yes terrible <laughs> i feel so sorry for him anyway jennifer will be on she'll talk about that as well uh by the way the president having gone down to the border not really i mean they cleaned it all up for him and everything it was why didn't they leave it why didn't they leave it so he could be seen wandering through the the, the humble masses, uh, sleeping on the streets? Really frustrating. I suggested yesterday we send him to every poverty-stricken area in the country because they'll clean it up that way. But uh, apparently uh, the president of Mexico has offered up that there is a solution. All the president has to do is give him the money, and he'll fix it. We need to invest in Mexico. That's literally his argument. We need to take your money, the money that you earned today, and send it to Mexico. It's not the the solution isn't to free up their market uh, and give them uh, equal uh, opportunities for uh, you know advancement. Uh, it's not to create uh, literally a, a, a capitalist society. No, no, it's it's us. We have to send them money. And then mysteriously, it'll all be fixed. What a load up. Poop. We you don't, don't believe have that? The, huh? You don't believe that? God, we've been doing this for <laughs> decades. Giving countries money in hopes that they somehow fix something. And all that happens is the people in charge come off, you know, worth hundreds of millions of dollars. It's just pathetic. Uh, anyway, we don't have that money. We're so deep in debt, it's, it's terrifying. And now the Republicans are in charge of the House. And they want to work the debt ceiling. Um, there was a, an interview on uh, Cavuto uh, with uh, Representative uh, Good from Virginia talking about this. Well, the real test for us, as you know, Neil, will be when the debt ceiling situation arises. When we reach the debt limit, we've got to have the willingness to go to the mat over that, to force cuts in spending, to put us on a fat path to fiscal responsibility. We've got to use the leverage that we will have at that time. Because, as you know, the omnibus bill was passed, unfortunately, a couple of weeks ago. We've lost all of our budgetary leverage through September, but we will regain that in the debt ceiling uh, battle when we have that soon. And the full faith and credit of the U.S. government 
is on the line for us to cut spending so we don't face a reckoning someday because of the rise in interest rates and the rapidly rise in our national debt. So we've got to show courage. That was on display here in this Congress, I would say, historically over the past week. We've got to continue to display that courage to fight to save the country from a fiscal standpoint. I know you look at it as courage. Some of your colleagues look at it as a suicidal talk because you're attaching spending to the debt ceiling and uh, almost guaranteeing that there are differences there as there likely will be, sir, a government shutdown. Well, we have got to be willing to use that as leverage, quite frankly, the same way that we would never have achieved the historic changes to the rules and to change how Congress operates unless we were willing to defeat the speaker to accomplish those. You have to use leverage points. That is what this is about in this business, persuasion and leverage, leveraging power to accomplish what you need to accomplish. And that means you would be open to a government shutdown. You don't want to take that off the table, but some call that the nuclear option. So the question is, you know, we, we've got this <clears throat> this budget ceiling that 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 you know every year. I don't even know to this point they've never once said, "Well, we're at that ceiling, we got to stop." They've never done that. I don't care if the Republicans are in charge or the Democrats are in charge; they always, always cave in. Now you've got this Republican and several others who are saying. You know, if you want to increase spending somewhere, if you want to allocate funds over here, you need to reduce the amount of money we take from over there or spend over there. He wants to stand on principle about raising the debt ceiling. And this happens periodically. They'll stand on, on, uh, on, on principle for a little while and then they cave. The pressure is too great. I've watched this happen. Brian, how many times have you seen this happen? At least at least four oh. or five times. Yeah. Uh, and and probably more. And, I, and I've made this argument before. I'm going to reiterate it for any Republicans who are listening, uh, any staffers for members of the House of Representatives who are listening, here is what you need to do. When you get to that debt ceiling question and you say, we're going to stand our ground... And suddenly non-essential personnel are being laid off. You need to stick with that and never, ever give it up. You cannot give it up. If you once cross that line, you can't reverse it. You can't suddenly change your mind two weeks, three weeks down the road because the publicity is bad. You have to stand your ground. You have to be principled. We can't afford to raise the debt ceiling. We can't afford to go further in debt. We're, you know, $31 trillion in the hole, maybe 32 by then, I'm, I'm pretty sure. So we're not going to back down. And then you watch the media unfold. They'll attack you left and right. It'll be, you know, the same old, same old. But you can't back down because the moment you do, as soon as you say, oh, all right, we'll, we'll raise the debt ceiling and... and <laughs> Bring everything back up. As soon as you say that, as soon as you do that, everybody in the country is thinking, well, you must have been wrong. You clearly were wrong. You must not have believed it. You must have. This must be some political stunt. And you're an instant loser. Once you cross that line, stick to it. Because somewhere along the line, eventually, if you stand your ground, you'll win. Not only will you win... But the conversation is going to begin to evolve.
And when it does evolve, people are going to be confronted with the size and scope of the national debt and what it means to their economy. And that's when you win. Uh, if you can accomplish that, if Republicans can accomplish that, if they can stand their ground no matter what, and make the Democrats cave, then they're the ones that get the label of, you know, a political stunt. You should have agreed to this before. You didn't. You shut down the government. And because when you do that, and people start talking about the implications of the size and scope of that national debt, the American public will say, well, geez, I'm, I'm glad they did this. They will recognize it. But you can't just hang your butt out there for two weeks or a month and then cave. Because then you're the loser. That's when it's all over for you and, and for all the Republicans. Uh, let's see. Anson says it's Groundhog Day. The Democrats control most of the government and the Republicans rediscover fiscal responsibility after totally forgetting that it existed while they controlled the government. I'm tired of these liars, all of them. Burn it down. Paul is on the line in Columbia. Paul, welcome. How are you? I'm just grateful, Gary. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Good. Yeah, I'm listening to you on the app today. You know, just real quick, I, I used to be remorseful, being that I, I do outside sales. I'd head out of town, and the eagle would get scratchy. I'd be darned. I'm missing out on the eagle programming. Then I discovered KWAS, and man, the range of that station is incredible, uh, 950 down Jeff City. Mm -hmm. And then, then I figured out that you're on the air in, in Springfield, and uh, didn't miss you. But even better, now I, I've got the app on my phone, and I can listen to you and the Eagle and all the good programming wherever I am. So, and we are thrilled aside, to have you. Yep. Yes. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I just wanted to remind you of a really, really good point you made one time. You were trying to give away something away, and in order to give it away, the of this prize, don't even remember what it was, but you asked a quiz question. And your quiz question was, what is another word for a government shutdown? Do you remember that? I don't and, recall, but... Yep, you said, what's another word for a government shutdown? And nobody got the right answer, but your answer was a balanced budget. And you, it really clearly made the point where when we have these government shutdowns, what they, what that forces them to do is, is to um, run the government on existing revenues. They can't, they can't go any further in the debt. They've got to, it, it, when, when they say government shutdown, you know, all the doors, all the lights don't go off and all the doors aren't locked. I mean, essential functions, as they call them, continue to run, and they run on the current revenue of, of the government. And uh, I just and and when we've had these government shutdowns, you know, one side always claims that the sky's going to fall down, but it never does. We get through it, and things things seem seem to function on an essential level um, based on the revenue coming in. But I just, you know, that that point you made stuck with me, 
And uh, I just wanted to, you know, remind you of that um, as you're talking about we need to make a stand when the next debt ceiling issue comes up. So thank yeah. you. All right. Thank you, Paul. Glad to have you on the Gary Nolan Show. Thanks for all the kind words. Well, you know, it'll be, uh, you know, we have to pay our debts. We can't pay our debts. It'll be these people at Christmas time. Uh, they won't be able to feed their families. They're going to be laid off. They're going to be out of work. Look at this family we're interviewing. Uh, where this non-essential government employee, non-essential, I love that part. Non-essential government employee is, is unable to collect a paycheck. Of course, when there's news stories are doing those that kind of coverage, they never say, yeah, but when the government finally opens up, they get all that pay, back pay. But it is an inescapable problem. That debt is not something you can just ignore. So either you don't go down that road at all, or if you do... And you allow the government, quote unquote, shutdown, you stick to your guns until people begin to recognize the real problem, which is 32 plus trillion in the hole. Jennifer Bukowski, about 10, 15 minutes from now on The Gary Nolan Show. It is the Zimmer Radio Network. It's ten twenty four. Jennifer Bukowski, about 5, 10 minutes from now. Um... I'm distracted because uh, every year in Las Vegas, they have uh, what what they call the shot show, uh, and that's where all the firearms manufacturers and and people who make products associated with that get together and show off their new products. And I we broadcasted from there a couple of times uh, in the past, and uh, Rob Latham is going to be out there. I, I don't know if you if you're not in the firearms, you probably never uh, heard of the guy. But I watched him out at uh, Green Valley uh, several years ago uh, in a competition, and I was stunned. They have uh, five uh, metal targets, and you start with the hands-up position. Like somebody's put a gun to your back and said, hands up, you put your hands up by your ears. That's where they start. And when you hear the beep... You reach down, grab your firearm, pull it out of the holster, and shoot those five targets as quickly as you can. And I think, uh, and he won, I think he did that in seven-tenths of a second or something like that. I can't remember. Do you remember the exact number, Brian? I, I, know I, I don't. Mentioned this yeah. Before. It was incredible. It, was, it is just incredible. This guy is such, a, such a, a, an incredible shot. But... You know, in the amount of time it takes you to just reach down to grab your firearm, this guy's got it out of the holster and hit five targets. Just an amazing shot. As I recall, Tim Oliver was pretty quick on the trigger, too. Oh, yeah, Tim Oliver. Uh, he is, uh, you know, the reason we do the gun show on Saturday mornings. Uh, and and we watched him with, uh, what was it? What was the firearm? He had, oh, he had a... Uh, 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 an FN 5.7 uh, and he pulled it out of the holster and just nailed it It was an incredible talent what a great teacher he is uh, anyway um, we'll try and get Rob Latham on the uh, gun show one of these Saturday mornings uh, because he is such an incredible shot it's just really really uh, impressive 
Well, apparently, uh, Justice Jackson is, uh, he, she's got a book deal, Brian. Does she? Yeah. Uh, Katanji Brown Jackson just secured a major book deal from Random House. Is the book called What is a Woman? Uh, no, 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 because she couldn't define that. Oh, uh, I thought apparently. maybe she studied up on it and decided to write a book on it. Uh, the book is called Lovely One. Um, now, this is the same uh, group, Random House, uh, that uh, Amy Coney Barrett went to uh, with her book. You, you remember how warmly that was received. <laughs> yeah, you don't, because uh, Amy Coney Barrett, uh, Barrett's book, uh, also a Random House company, was opposed by publishers and editors, including over 50, who publicly claimed to be working at Penguin Random House companies. She was deemed a, uh, a persona non grata by editors who wanted to prevent readers from reading about her own personal views and history. Lovely one, uh, Jackson's uh, life story, uh, gets an advance of a million dollars, and uh, the book goes through. Now, the whole story, by the way, is at uh, Jonathan Turley's uh, website, uh, jonathanturley.org. But, you know, we were talking earlier in the program about crimes and, and how somehow, if you're a Democrat, you get treated differently. And uh, the reception to the book is most striking. Various publishers and editors publicly called for Barrett to be barred from publication due to her jurisprudential views. It didn't matter that these views are generally shared, not only by half of the, the Supreme Court, but uh, hundreds of judges, but arguably half of the voters. Uh, but she, well, we shouldn't hear from. But Kentanji Jackson, well, she's a Democrat, a progressive. All the information you want. Uh, go ahead. Nobody, nobody was upset about that. Huh? Some people wonder. It's funny how that works, isn't, isn't it? it, though? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Maybe, uh, let's see. Uh, what is this? Mark says, Gary, maybe you should be, you should quit using the term debt ceiling in favor of line of credit. Most of us have some kind of credit and understand what happens when we exceed it. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great, Brian, if you had a you know uh, a line of credit, and every time you got to the point where you were busting the bank, you could print money and send it <laughs> yes. in. They raise your credit line. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't even have to. You just create the money. Yes. Oh, uh, I, I, I've, I've, I'm up to my limit. I'm at thirty thousand on my credit card. Uh, so I'll just print more money to pay that down and keep on going. That would be really, really nice. Not going to happen, but it would be nice. Uh, all right, so Jennifer Bukowski coming on. Uh, she wants to talk about Prince Harry's new book, Spare. Uh, that comes out today. Uh, and a 60 Minutes interview that, that he did. Uh, also, uh, Charles Erickson, uh, which is a, a story that for sure we know about locally. We talked about it in the program yesterday, being released from prison. Uh, we're uh, also going to hear from her on the Idaho murder affidavit, um, what it reveals about the investigation. I'm going to ask her if she could come up with a, a reasonable defense, because everybody deserves one, whether we like them or not. 
Uh, and then uh, the McCarthy speaker battle. We'll see if she agrees with me that this was actually a good thing. It's the Gary Nolan Show on the Zimmer Radio Network. This is the Gary Nolan Show. It's 1035. Glad to have you with us. Brian, thank you for the coffee. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. Uh, I, I made it myself. It, it, is that why it tastes that? Uh, that's a it funny. a little funny. Almond uh, taste in it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it is 1035. Jennifer Bukowski, who's a brilliant criminal defense attorney, is on board. Uh, I'm going to put her to the test uh, when we talk about the Idaho murderers. Uh, the Idaho murderer or alleged murderer, uh, Brian uh, Koberger, uh, because uh, a lot of the documents have been released. wonder if she could put up a defense for him. Uh, but uh, first, let me just say hi. Good morning, Jennifer. Good morning, Gary. All right. Uh, drowning his sorrows. Prince Harry drowns, uh, downs tequila shots. As he, You know, I watched that interview. I was thinking about you the whole time. <laughs> and I thought, this guy's a moron. I mean, he's dumber I, than stupid. I can't believe you said that because that's, what was, that's exactly how I was going to lead off this segment. Like, this just... My my mom has been saying this for years, ever since he wore that Nazi costume at, at 20 years old, so 18 years ago. He's just not that bright. Uh, Harry, Prince Harry is not that bright. His mom, Princess Diana, was not that bright. And it is clear to me that that is part of the problem that's happening right now, um, in that he's just airing all the family drama right now in this book. He saved a lot of juicy dirty laundry to air the public from his family for this book and it's i don't think it's going to end well for him i think he's really blundered he's been manipulated by book editors or others to make a fool of himself like this. others i think i think other is the one not others i think it's his wife well i also think there's people around him that this is their one shot to make bank right they're going to get part of this book these book proceeds or the Netflix documentary proceeds. So they're encouraging him to behave badly here, and he's gone for it. They've flattered him and everything else to to say things that are just so immature uh, about, you know, the two women sharing makeup and how, you know, Kate was disgusted when Meghan Markle wanted to use her lip gloss. Just, just immature, petty things in this book that's been released and also kind of strange things like he killed 25 people in Afghanistan. It's, uh, it's really something else. He did all these mushrooms and cocaine and marijuana, but yeah, he's 20 something he, years old and thinks his mother is not really dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what kind of an imbecile is he? That's the thing. Yeah. He's been infantilized. He's been the younger one. He's been babied, but the, you know, the people around the British royal family really rehabilitated his image because he was partying naked on video in Vegas. He was wearing the Nazi costume, and so they sent him off and made him a war hero and the most popular member of the royal family, and that is gone just completely in the tank. He's not popular over here either anymore. He used to have a lot of fans here, and now I'm not seeing anyone defending him in the wake of this book. And it's really unfortunate his timing because 
he's doing all these shenanigans as both of his grandparents who helped raise him, the Queen of England and her uh, husband, Prince Philip, are dying. And now he's doing all this. He goes to the funeral knowing that he's going to be releasing this book and everything else. And he's interacting with his dad and brother. And he's furious that he doesn't get asked to ride on a plane out to Balmoral when the Queen is passing away. But now his father is taking the reins as king. And so this is really terrible timing and really a mean thing to do to his grandparents and then his father. All for money. That's what this is for, is for money. You know, he had a pretty tough life, though, Jen. I mean, look, <laughs> you know, living in castles, having security, uh, having uh, tens of millions of dollars, at, at, you know, at any, I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars, really, uh, that he could spend on anything he wanted, travel anywhere he wanted to go. I, I feel sorry for him. <laughs> I, I could feel sympathy for him, but I, I also know that he should respect that he's part of like a one-in-the-world family that's very unique, that's looked up to and admired by many people, and that he is supposed to hold himself to a higher standard. He's 38 years old. He's almost, I mean, he's almost a 40-year-old man. There's no excuse for him to be behaving this way. But he's still doing strange things. Did you see the pictures of him going in and out of the Colbert show with some guy carrying a locked lock box? No. What is, like, what could go wrong if your security guard has his gun in a locked Glock box? Isn't that strange? And well, it, it reminded me of how a couple of years ago he sold $60,000 worth of hunting rifles, like these custom-made rifles that he'd had, you know, his whole life because Megan was opposed to hunting. Like, is this another bizarre gun thing where, okay, I'm going to have a security guard because I'm scared for my safety, but I'm going to make him carry his gun in a locked box? That's essentially useless in an emergency. I'm just saying. You're like notifying the bad guy. Here's my box that I might open if you start shooting yeah, can at you me. Give me a minute here. Hold on. Hold on. Just <laughs> hold on, wait hold a second. On. Where's what the is, key? Yeah, what is the combination? Oh, God. Right. Whenever I get nervous, I forget these things. No, By the way. Doesn't even have the, you know, he probably doesn't even have the magazine and the gun inside the box. If he's carrying around in a box like that. He's opposed to hunting? Really? Yeah, that's been a huge part of the British family. The Queen hunted. They call it stalking over there. The Queen was a big hunter. Everyone in the British family has been hunting for generations. And she was opposed to it, like was going to feign a headache when they went to Balmoral. But, you know, why did the royals have to have a rummage sale? If she's opposed to hunting, fine. If Harry doesn't want to hunt to support his wife, great. But to go so far as to sell $60,000 of hunting rifles, very special, you know, expensive hunting rifles that are in Scotland being looked over by servants that you don't have in your house. There's no point to that other than virtue signaling. Boy, would I love to get my hands on one of those. I'd love to get my hands on one of those rifles, though. Can you imagine what it would be worth at an auction? Yeah, the guy that bought it, he didn't know that it was Prince Harry's until after the fact, and then he was, quote, chuffed when he found out. He wanted them just because they were really great rifles. Yeah, I'd be saying, hey, this was once the Royal Rifle. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, Jennifer so- Bukowski with us. If you just turned the radio on, we are, of course, talking about her favorite family uh, outside of her own, and that, of course, is the Royal Family, uh, Prince Harry. Uh, his five biggest mistakes, just tick through them. Oh, gosh. 
Hey, he's made so many. Everyone's paying attention to this, and they can't keep their stories straight. They keep backpedaling and backtracking. But now they're saying, "Oh, we didn't call the, I didn't call the royal family racist in that Oprah interview." You just got an award last month for fighting racism in the royal family. You know, you gracefully accepted that award. It's it's mind-boggling to me that he could claim that. Racism isn't what they took away. Then he's like, no, did Megan say that? He shoots back at this like interview that is in part of this book tour. Oh, I, I don't know that she said that. Yes, she said that. Okay, give us a break. We're just all baffled that you are trying to claim now that that wasn't the insinuation. He said, well, no, you know, unconscious bias, which turns into racism. Well, okay, so they didn't they didn't uh, address it or whatever. So you're saying they've turned into racist, but still. It's it's kind of ridiculous. He's uh, he went after Camilla, accusing her of leaking, which is you know quite something when you consider all of the leaking of an airing of dirty families laundry or whatever that they've done to the media. But he's saying that she's dangerous because she leaks to the media to try to look better in the media's eyes. That is not going to please his father, who's always been in love with that uh, Camilla, his wife. And uh, it does confirm that, you know, Harry has never approved of his wife, of his father marrying her because he had an affair with her uh, while married to the mom. Admitting to using all these drugs while in the United States, I mean, you're trying to become a permanent resident of the United States, first of all. You know, there's going to be potential immigration problems from that, you know, if you're admitting to that. Hopefully not, probably not, but, I mean, it's just not particularly smart to be sitting there saying how you use all these psychedelic medicines, which are basically magic mushrooms. Uh, and then the Kate Middleton stuff, how he is uh, just going into detail about this fight that they had uh, between Megan and Kate and bringing that up, his brother's protective of Kate. He's also complaining about some incident where his brother like grabbed him by the shirt and he refused to fight back or something when he said that you know your wife is like selfish and um, um, annoying something like that mild and he's like you're just learning that from the British media <laughs> he blames everything on the British media and so I don't know what the point was to that because I mean at this point the loyalty has been completely breached and how do you come back from this all for money for a one-time thing money that you don't really need that much because you already have so many other things that you've been doing with you know Meghan Markle or podcasting and other books that, you've, that she's done and the Netflix thing and then you take this book and you really go too far with it and um, what's the plan from here you know living well, in I, I will tell you that I think their marriage is going to fail uh, I think she's going to discard him, and then he's yeah. going to be a man without a country. We're up against the clock. Uh, in the next hour, uh, maybe uh, at 11.05, we'll talk about er uh, Charles Erickson. Uh, we talked about him yesterday uh, in that hour, but uh, be curious to see what, uh, what you have to say as a criminal defense attorney. But I am even more curious to see if you could come up with a defense for Brian Koberger. Uh, the affidavit... Uh, has been uh, read by many, and it looks like a lot of circumstantial evidence, but it looks pretty good. We'll see what Jennifer thinks about that.
coming up on the Gary Nolan Show, the Zimmer Radio Network. It is uh, 1051. Jennifer Bukowski is with us. And uh, she, of course, is, in addition to a whole host of other uh, talents, a brilliant criminal defense attorney. And she has seen uh, what's in the affidavit uh, for the uh, Brian Koberger case, the uh, four Idaho uh, students who were murdered. And when you look through it, you know, with your eye, do, do they have a solid case? Do you see a weakness? There are many problems that his criminal defense attorney will face. Obviously, the most damning piece of evidence that they have on him is the sheath of the knife has blood on it that matches his DNA. It's laying next to the, one of the victim's bodies. He has actually two, vic, two female victims are in a single bed together, according to this affidavit, stabbed to death. And uh, this sheath is, I believe, lying next to one of those females' bodies at the crime scene. So that sheath was eventually tracked down to match to him because there are a series of other um, inculpatory behaviors that they tracked down to him. And I was looking at this suspect, and I'm looking at him, and he's trying to get a Ph.D. in criminal justice. And I think that he might be obsessed with serial killers and wanting to be one himself. He studied under a professor in Pennsylvania that worked with the BTK serial killer or his biography. He's now studying this. But luckily, I guess, he is allegedly not that good at getting away with it. Although one does wonder, do you go from zero to killing four people with a knife? Or is this the first thing that he's done? And he has managed to get away with others because he did strike at random. There's no phone connection between him and any of these roommates. The police, by mentioning in the affidavit that they were combing through all the cellular data for connections between these groups, of, uh, between him or any of the people that live there, they had no mention of him having any such connection. It looks like he was stalking uh, this house because his cell phone is in the area. Uh, half a dozen times uh, in the couple of months prior to this happening and this is how is he caught how do they match this blood to him he drives his own car okay drives his own car with his own license plates to the crime scene and back again i mean that's how they eventually got him he gets pulled over constantly by police uh, for a uh, tailgating and other things so he was already in their databases having this white hyundai um, and the right year. So they were able to see this suspicious car. They were able to track it because these two college towns, the one he lived in and the one uh, these kids that he allegedly killed lived in are close by and a lot of people travel between them. So they, they just looked at security cameras. They found, you know, ring key, doorbell cameras or whatever. They said, oh, it's a white Hyundai Elantra. Okay, let's find it. And they found one going from one town to the other, and they were able to uh, track it down. And he popped up as having one of these vehicles because he had been pulled over. And uh, I guess he didn't have it licensed. He's in the interim since these murders got it switched the plates from Pennsylvania to uh, Idaho. So it didn't have a front plate. So that took him a little bit of time to track down. But. Uh, you could have switched cars, my dude. You know, you're supposed to be some smart PhD student. And then he switches off his phone completely uh, for like three hours during the time of the killing, but then switches it back on. 
And then the next morning before the crime is reported, he is back in that area, pinging to that cell tower. Like, if you're trying make- to get away with it, why don't you leave your phone on at your house so it could alibi you? You know, you give your attorney something to work with. But uh, the fact that you just happen to turn it off for the three hours of the killing, that that really, I mean, the DNA is very damning. Uh, having him on his car and then having him later that day, they you can see him getting out of the car, uh, that same car that they're able to track back and forth is uh, damning. But, yeah. What do you okay, make of that survivor? What do you make of the survivor who saw him as she closed her door and didn't call the police? I think it, that is... That really surprised me at first. She It was like eight hours because she's hearing all these different noises and she goes out of her room three different times. She's lucky he didn't kill her too. Was he tired? Like he just killed four people allegedly um, and walks right past her. But I've read accounts. I was reading into this and some other person has come forward saying that like in 1993 that something very similar happened where her roommate was very brutally attacked. You just never know how you're going to re- react. She didn't go, uh, you know, see that and and help her roommate out until like six hours later, and the roommate almost died. So it is really something, though, because maybe were they all completely dead at that point? We don't know. Did they bleed out because this roommate waited eight hours? But you just never know how you're going to react in a situation like that. She's in that partying. It's four in the morning. Um. She went in her room and locked the door and just, like, I guess pretended it didn't happen. I guess she didn't hear any further noises. But that was strange, wasn't it? If you're a criminal... One of the first things the police were looking into was, did she know this guy? Did she send him to do this? You know, that's obviously nothing is borne out to show that she had anything to do with it. If you're a criminal defense attorney for him, does that give you some opportunity to make a hole in the case? If, yeah, you could, I mean, you'd certainly want to investigate that to see if she had any beef with the roommate, to see if she had any males in her life that would maybe do something like this that she could be covering for. But like I said, cellular data, the surveillance footage, and then most definitely the uh, ninth sheet, those things are going to be hard for his criminal defense attorney to explain away. Yeah, the knife thing, that that I can't think of... uh... I can't think of how to get around the knife thing. You know, you could say, uh, yeah, of course I drove by there. It's 10 minutes away from where I live, and we, you know, I drive through there all the time. Uh, you could come up with that for for an excuse. but and, and it was his blood. It wasn't touch DNA. It was actually his blood on the knife sheet. Right. So that's a problem. And who has blood on their knife sheet? Not a lot of people. They don't leave it in a seat where they... Four people have been stabbed to death. Alright, coming up, we're going to talk about Charles Erickson and uh, the Kevin McCarthy deal with Jennifer Bukowski on the Gary Nolan Show. This is the Gary Nolan Show.